Good morning. I'm really grateful to be here and I'm excited to continue our journey in Habakkuk together, desiring to get to a place of rejoicing in trials and living by faith in situations that we can't understand. And today we're going to look at four verses, just four verses, but they're packed with good stuff, so I'm just going to read it here for everyone. Habakkuk 3, 8 to 11. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And Holy Spirit, would you help us um, understand what you want us to hear today? Let our hearts and our minds be transformed by your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly and you would guide our time and help us to know you better and love you better through this study. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the, the theme of our passage today is remembering. And remembering is just so essential to our faith journey. But if you're like me, your memory can be a bit foggy at times. I don't know who relies on their uh, reminder app or their to-do list to, uh, to survive. That's me. If it doesn't go on the list right away, it kind of slips off into the oblivion of my spaghetti brain. And then it doesn't come back until someone says, hey, did you do that? <laughs> and then you're like, ah, no. And then how about some of our you know, worst memory fails? Does any come to mind? Some, do some of them make you cringe, like forgetting an anniversary? Or some maybe make you laugh, like, I don't know if anyone's like me, but checking the microwave for the third time and finding your coffee in there, <laughs> forgetting that you put it there and forgetting to drink it? Um, or do they make you shake your head, like walking into a room and completely forgetting why you're there until you leave the room? And then you're like, oh, and then you go back in. So God knows our limitations. And he knows our fickle minds tend to forget, and we forget important things like his goodness and his faithfulness. And he knew this would be a challenge for us, so he put lots of reminders to remember in his word. And in Deuteronomy, we see that he literally commands his people to remember. And the nation of Israel was newly formed, just a baby nation, and God was urging them not to forget all he had done for them. And all through scripture, we see this theme. Don't forget. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Remember the days of old. Remember my work. Remember me, said Jesus. God knew in this dark and difficult world that we would struggle with spiritual amnesia. And so Habakkuk is fighting against this spiritual amnesia in this passage today. He's remembering God's mighty acts done on the behalf of his people and how God's character is displayed through them. And in a very poetic way, he references milestone events in the formation of the nation of Israel that demonstrate God's power and greatness. And if you're like me, some of the references are a bit puzzling, wondering what, what is he referring to, but they would have been very familiar to the Israelites at the time. And woven within these major events are examples of God's amazing power over the most untamable elements of nature. So Habakkuk is rehearsing the character of God by remembering all he's done on their behalf, which builds confidence and leads to rejoicing, no matter the circumstance. Which is the main message of our text today. Remembering leads to rejoicing. 
And so I've broken up our passage into three sections. You can see God's power over the rivers and sea, verses 8 to 9a. And so we'll be remembering God's um, miraculous deliverance from Egypt. God's power over the rocks and mountains in verse 9b to 10, which is remembering God's provision and protection in the wilderness. And then God's power over the sun and moon in verse 11, remembering how God did battle for the Israelites in Canaan. So all these events that Habakkuk is bringing to remembrance carry so much significance um, to Israel's history and just to God's redemptive story. So I could spend my whole teaching time on each one, and even in our small group time, we were just you know, really camping out on each one. There's so much to talk about, um, but I really need to do a quick overview, so hopefully you can stick with me, and that you'll be just as encouraged as I've been as I've been preparing. So we're going to dive in in verse 8. Here we see Habakkuk posing two questions that we have discussed in our small group time. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Okay, Habakkuk, what are you talking about? We know that Habakkuk is remembering God's mighty acts, and it's referring to water. So when um, in history did God act powerfully with indignation against water? What famous rivers and seas can we think of? And I know in our study we decided that it's the Nile River, the Red Sea, and the Jordan River. And so these landmarks have incredible history and um, meaning for the Israelites. So we're going to kind of take a trip down memory lane together. So I saw a lot of you have your Bibles, so we're going to look up these stories together and jump around a bit so if you can follow along. So we're going to start in Exodus 7. So looking at what is this anger, wrath, and indignation? Habakkuk uses three words that kind of mean the same thing, express the same thing, so this should catch our attention. So why was God angered? What ignited his wrath? It was the injustice his, uh, that faced his people. God's wrath is love and action against sin. His lo- he loved his people so much that seeing them oppressed moved God to anger. And this resulted in God making big waves, pun intended. Let's look at the first river that God used to make himself known. So in Exodus 7, we'll see here, we'll see the Nile, the spring of life. Egyptian life literally depended on the Nile. They even deified it. So it makes sense why God would focus on the Nile to bring attention to himself. God turned the Egyptian water source into blood. And that was the first plague in a sequence of 10 leading up to the release of the Israelites from Pharaoh's tyranny. So we'll pick up with me in verse 20. I've got to turn to it here. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And then we'll just skip to verse 24. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And Habakkuk is reminding his readers of the time God exercised his amazing power over the longest and most powerful river in the world. For God was just getting started. So we read that God showed indignation against the sea. So moving on to the next. And this is referring to the Red Sea. And so turn with me to Exodus 14. And this is such a monumental event in Israel's history, right? It's referred to all throughout scripture. And here we see God's people finally being released from Pharaoh's tyranny, and then being trapped between his army and the sea. 
And Exodus 14, 4 says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So Pharaoh changed his mind and gathered his army to get his slaves back. And God orchestrated all this to make himself known. And we'll see in verse 13, we read this incredible encouragement. I'm reading, find it here in my Bible. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And here 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only be silent. And here we see the same warrior imagery in our passage today in verse 9. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. So God fights on our behalf. Isn't that amazing truth? And in verse 22, we see God's miraculous act of driving the sea back, allowing the Israelites to walk across on dry land. And once they had safely crossed, God caused the towering walls of water to crash down, wiping out the Egyptian army. God gave direction, and this huge body of water obeyed. At his command, its walls crashed down, <coughs> powerless next to its all-powerful creator. Here we're reminded of how God controlled the vast sea to deliver his people. And the last river reference is the Jordan River in Joshua 3. And it's important to note the location of the Jordan River. So the Israelites have been wandering through the wilderness, right, for 40 years. And they kind of took this roundabout way, and they come up to the Jordan River, and it is the only thing between them and the Promised Land. On the other side is fertile Canaan, the land God had planned for them. And God required the priests to step into the river, and he would cut off the flow and allow them to cross through on dry land. It doesn't seem so hard. God just parted the Red Sea. This should be a cinch. No big deal. But the Jordan wasn't just a babbling brook. The rosy images of the priests calmly dipping their toe into this picturesque stream is a little bit, um, is not entirely accurate from our story Bibles. Scripture says it was harvesting time, so the Jordan was overflowing. So if you can just picture a river overflowing, I'm sure many of us have seen that, you can picture the Credit River, actually. It's about a similar size, and when it's overflowing, it kind of makes your heart beat a little faster, right? The water's surging down, and there's you know, huge limbs just raging down the river, um, broken limbs from trees, and just all, all kind of the mess heading down the river. And so it was a serious situation and required real faith. Not to mention the intensity of finally crossing the river and heading into the unknown and the promised land. Nothing was impossible for God. He stopped that mighty raging river for his people. And so these three examples of God's power over water reveal God is mighty to save. Habakkuk emphasizes this with the end of verse 8 saying, You rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. So he fought on their behalf, like riding in to save the day, so to speak. All these mighty deeds were asked to deliver and establish Israel. So how does this memory help the Israelites in Habakkuk's time? Well, God has deliver, he delivered his people from Egypt. He can surely deliver the people from the Babylonians. God was angered by the injustice. He was indignant by the oppression by, from the Egyptians to the Israelites. How much more will his wrath pour on the Babylonians? We can trust God as a deliverer. In his way, in his time, he will enact justice. And here we find a Selah. I think, I don't know if every Bible has this, but the Selah, which is an encouragement to the reader to pause and reflect. 
And so one commentary said, it's, this would be a good time to camp out and praise God. And I thought, yeah, let's take a moment because I don't know about you, but I've heard these stories many times. But we need to let like, the magnitude of it really sink in. Like not gloss, gloss over it. Yes, God parted the Red Sea. Whoa, like wait a minute. Like he is so powerful. He could stop Niagara Falls if he wanted to. And that is our God. He fights on our behalf. He's for us. Who can be against us? Selah. So next we move from raging waters to unmovable rocks and mountains. So let's think back. What story do you think of when you read, this, read split the earth with rivers? Habakkuk is most likely referring to God's provision of water in the wilderness. So let's turn to Exodus 17. Here we find the Israelites grumbling about their lack of water. And I mean, it's kind of a valid concern, right? So there was a large number of people and livestock <coughs> leaving Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, which is not an easy spot to find water. And the inability to find drinking water was a significant problem. But wait, on the flip side, didn't God just part the Red Sea? And we see a couple chapters earlier, he provided sweet water and bread from heaven. <laughs> like, what more did the Israelites need to trust God's provision? But in their angst, they had forgotten already. They did not yet trust that God would provide and protect. And we know from scripture, this would be a continuing issue throughout the wilderness. And if we're honest, it's a continuing struggle for ourselves to trust his provision. We see in Exodus 17:4, Moses cried to the Lord, they will stone me, what shall I do? And I love God's response. So let's read 17 verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Harib and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And so did you catch that? That God's subtle reminder? I thought this was so cool. Remember the miracle at the Nile? I just performed to deliver you from Egypt as if God's saying, the one where you use the staff, watch as I provide for you again. What an amazing example of God's patient provision. And in verse 10, we see the mountains trembling in God's presence. We're moving on to kind of the next, um, we did the rocks and now we're mountains. Let's let that sink in a bit. How do you feel when you're at the foot of a mountain? For those of you who've been able to do that, you just feel really small and insignificant. Mountains have been associated with this immovable transcendence. They inspire awe and wonder. The strongest winds and rains may come, but the mountain remains unshakable. These formations reach higher than the clouds, they shut, and they shudder and writhe in the presence of our God. And what story does this remind you of? Israel at Mount Sinai, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. So if you can turn with me again, Exodus 19. Traveling through, uh, sorry, Exodus 19, verse 18. We see, now, oh, I almost did 20. Here we go. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. A strong formation made of rock quakes before the Lord. The mountain responds rightly to its creator. 
And God is our creator and king, ruling over the most wild, untamable elements of nature. And he's reminding the Israelites of, um, and Habakkuk is reminding the Israelites of God's provision in the wilderness. God can provide for the Israelites in the most hostile of environments. How much more will he provide for them when captives, by, uh, taken captive by the Babylonians? Remembering his provision prevents us from grumbling and leads us to trustful contentment, knowing that he is in control. If absolute control over the earth wasn't enough, we see in the next section that God has power over the heavenly bodies. Habakkuk takes it even further, literally out of outer space. He is referring to the Battle of Gibeon, where the sun and moon actually stood still. Yes, there is a story in the Bible where time stood still. And if we turn to Joshua 10, I can prove it to you. All right. So Israel is in a tough battle for the promised land, and God intervenes on their behalf. And it says in verse 11 that more men from the enemy army were killed by the hailstorm sent from God than by the sword of the Israelites. So God was working and moving um, to help them win and to give them victory. And once the Amorite army was in retreat, that's when God caused time to stand still. So the, Israel's, the Israel army could have more time to defeat their enemy. And so we see in verse 14, so Joshua 10, 14, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Here he is fighting for his people again. Habakkuk is reminding the Israelites, God has absolute power over the most untouchable parts of creation. How much more will he give you victory over the Babylonians when the time is right? You see how these stories are reminding them of what God has done and then revealing his character? So stopping the sun has nothing, um, is, is nothing compared to God literally giving up his son for our, uh, to save us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. His greatest act on our behalf was defeating sin and Satan and defeating um, the serpent, buying us free salvation. It was his perfect timing, Romans 5, 8, or 5, 6, sorry. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are to remember his body, broken for us. God knew we would even forget this most incredible act of love. So that's why he urges us to remember. That's why we celebrate communion. We remember what Christ has done for us regularly. And when we are tempted to discouragement or overwhelmed by our situations, we need to remember what Christ has done for us. And it, um, Ephesians lays it out so well. Ephesians 2, 4 to, 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the mighty act that we need to remember. And can you look back and celebrate when God saved you? If he's willing to give up his own son for you, how much more will he hold you fast until Christ's return? And if you haven't asked for forgiveness of sins or accepted his free gift of salvation, what's holding you back? He's waiting with open arms. So let's take it another step further for our lives here. I've wrote, written 
three points up on this side, and the questions are, what other situations do you look back on as key moments when you saw the Lord work on your behalf? How have you seen his character displayed? And how does this help us face our current trial and encourage us to move forward? And so when I was reflecting on these questions, I just knew I had to share what God was doing in my life and how he's been working on my behalf. And so throughout this study, God has been taking kind of me on a kind of a journey of my own. Have you ever tried or have you ever read or been studying something in scripture and then God give, brings a situation into your life that helps you practice the exact thing that you are reading and studying? So that's, been, that's what's been happening with my husband and I. And we've seen God work in mighty and very mysterious ways. A little background is, for some of you who don't know, my husband has been or had the, has had the desire to become a police constable for many years. And he first started the application process about six years ago. And it's a pretty rigorous process. And so he would make it to the end of the application process many times. And then the, just the door would close without explanation. And so this was pretty discouraging at times. We were tempted to be discouraged and it was challenging. But we saw God's provision. It would just work in so many mysterious ways and God opened other doors instead. So in ways we could only understand, or that he could only orchestrate, that we could understand, um, he was answering not yet. And so God led Ben to work at the airport a month before COVID hit. So we're like, what? How's this going to pan out? When he should have been laid off, God protected his job and he had favor. And so it was so beyond our understanding. We knew God was working and this helped us trust as we move forward, even if we didn't understand. So fast forward to this past month and the week I was preparing to teach in women's Bible study on God's unexpected answers, kind of remember back a little bit, we received word that there was trouble at Ben's work. And as I was studying about God's control and his trustworthiness, Ben's job was in jeopardy. And as I was meditating, God's justice worked out in his time and his way. Ben was facing injustice at his job. He had to resign and not the answer that we wanted. I had to put into practice all I was studying, literally that week <laughs> and then beyond. So the crazy thing that is that while all the trouble was happening, we received an email that Ben had been chosen to move forward as a police constable after six years. It was almost too good to be true. Like his timing, God's timing was astounding. In the hard trial, he was comforting us and reminding us that he is faithful and he is working in ways that we do not understand for um, his glory and for our good. And we don't know why God led Ben to the airport for him to go through that situation, to face injustice, or why it took so long to become a constable, even though he still had that desire. But in the waiting and in the journey, God revealed himself to us. He made himself known. And we saw his faithfulness, his provision, his comfort, his deliverance, which gives us confidence to move forward. And so this role means big changes for our family, for our schedule, for our, our family dynamics, and we don't know the pressures and the challenges that Ben's going to face in this new role. Um, but we've seen God guide through this situation and more, so we can trust he will do it again. And God has led our family like he led the Israelites. He created a Red Sea Road for us through our trial to make himself known. And I wonder how many of you can say the same through situations in your life. And as I was preparing to teach, I came across Psalm 77. So if you want to turn there with me. Someone titled this Psalm, The Troubled Heart Remembers God's Great Works, which I thought was really fitting. All right, so let's listen to how the Psalm ties well with our passage today. 
It begins with a cry to the Lord in our sufferings and trials. Then after an appeal to the Lord, the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. I'm starting, sorry, I'm at verse 13. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I love how that psalm ends. Just like you led your people in the past, God, you will lead your people now. Just like you led through the Red Sea, like you led through the wilderness, like you led to the promised land, he will lead his people and he will lead you and me. Through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, he will guide us like a shepherd leads the sheep. And let's remember who God is. Let's keep rehearsing the character of God by remembering his mighty acts, which encourage our faith and help us to move forward in confidence. He is mighty to save. And may this bolster our faith to trust and say with Habakkuk, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your patience with us when we forget your goodness and all you've done for us. You are mighty to save. And we just thank you for your great compassion that you are so intricately involved in our lives and you love us so dearly and you have a good plan for us. I pray that you would help us to trust you whatever may come. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.